Dear congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, as we consider Good Friday and Easter, and we sometimes are left with this reality as we look at Scripture of this waiting period of time that's filled with anxiousness and fear and discouragement and even despair. Much like we could think of when Wellington, a general for the English army, went up against Napoleon. And as the English people in, in this time were waiting for news to arrive on what had happened in this battle, we recognized that as word began to arise, there was this uh, Winchester Chapel which had a um, uh, mechanism to, to cast a sign and to display that sign for the people. And, and as that sign began to put up the message, it would just put up a letter two at a time. And, and as that sign was unfolding, they could read, Wellington defeated. And then the fog set in. And they couldn't read it any longer. And they had this message set before them that Wellington was defeated. And despair and heartbreak and sorrow filled their hearts. But as some time passed, the fog began to lift. And they could see that there was more to the message. There's more to that message. And as it began to make it out, they saw Wellington defeated the enemy. What joy filled their hearts. I wonder if that's really what the women who came to the tomb on Easter morning, what they experienced. Sorrow, despair, discouragement. The disciples filled with discouragement. But then on resurrection morning, as they come to the tomb, And they see the stone rolled away. What joy must have filled their hearts to hear the message of the angel. He is risen. He is risen indeed. And sometimes we look at those who came to the tomb who were so discouraged. And we think about how they must have not fully grasped the teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ. And and yet even the enemies of Christ heard the promises of Christ that He would rise again on the third day and set guards around this tomb to ensure that this message would go on that Jesus is defeated. And yet, despite all the powers of hell to portray that message, we find a very different truth on resurrection morning. Sinclair Ferguson wrote this. He said, imagine for a moment the reaction of hell to the death of Christ. Jesus was bound in the bands of death. What celebration and joy in hell. God was defeated. Vengeance was the devil's, but they reckoned not with the wisdom of God. For Christ could not be held down by the bands of death. In fact, through death, 
He was paralyzing the one who had the power over death. He was setting his people free. What seemed to defeat be defeat was actually victory. The resurrection morning was hell's gloomiest day. Satan saw the wisdom of God and tasted defeat. So also this morning, as we remember the redemptive work of Christ, the light breaks through on resurrection morning. The message is clear. Jesus defeated the enemy. He was successful. Isaiah chapter 53. Let us turn there in our Bibles. Isaiah 53, and we'll read verses 10 through 12. Sets, us, sets before us that very truth. And as we read Isaiah 53, verse 10 through 12, I want you to remember when we started this servant song in Isaiah 52, that in verse 13 we read, Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. It's portraying the success of the servant, even right up front. But it also concludes in verses 10 through 12 with the success of his servant. Let us hear these words, Isaiah 53, verse 10. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you, shall, when you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul unto death. He was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. I'd like to look at this this morning with the theme the servant of the Lord, a successful servant. With three thoughts. First of all, we'll look at the validity of his success. Secondly, the satisfaction of his success. And thirdly, the spoils of his success. First of all, we recognize that the validity of the success of this servant, the servant of the Lord, is grounded in his word. All of the Old Testament prophecies, even such as we have here in Isaiah 52 and 53, Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. He will be successful. He will, he will be exalted and set very high. We recognize that these truths of his resurrection that we find in what we sang in Psalm 16, when we sang Psalter 29, that, that indeed his his body would not remain in the grave. His soul would not be remain there. In, 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 in he'd be raised from the dead. We find throughout the Old Testament that indeed the Lord Jesus Christ would be raised from the dead. Jesus himself testifies of that in that beautiful picture of Jonah going into the whale of the belly. And so he must also go into the heart of the earth. And, and on the third day he would be raised from the dead. And there are many good reasons to, to believe that Jesus is alive this morning. The fact that we come to an empty cross and there's no Jesus hanging on the cross. 
The fact that we come to an empty tomb and the stone is rolled away and it's an empty tomb and there's no Jesus there in the grave testifies that he is risen. And and the Gospels bring this word to us. And Luke says that he brings these Gospels to us so that we might know that these things are true and that we would believe in them. We see in in the New Testament how they began to worship on the first day of the week in commemoration of the resurrection as the eyewitnesses of His resurrection come forward as these women who come to this empty tomb, as the testimony of the apostles, of those who have been eyewitnesses of His glory as He revealed Himself to them on this earth, even after His resurrection. And as they testify of that in their epistles, even in 1 Corinthians 15, that Jesus, the second Adam, needed to be raised again to be the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. That we might be, as Peter says, born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. There is a validity. There is certainty. There, this is a true and worthy statement. He is risen indeed. And God has opened this tomb, rolled away the stone, Not necessarily to let Jesus out of the grave, but let the whole world come in and behold, He's risen. It's empty. It's a truth in the Bible. It's a story that's worth telling. Are we communicating the validity of this truth to the whole world? Do we believe in this servant who shall deal prudently, who shall be exalted and extolled and be very high? Is that being communicated to the world? Or do we cause that message to be lost of its and deprived of its meaning and truth and validity when we think that our intellect and our career and and, and who I am and what I have and what I like to do is, is all more important than a risen Savior who's head over all exalted. All of life and all of the things we identify in life can be taken away in one moment at death and we as our bodies would even return to the dust in the grave. Death is ugly. But the beautiful truth that's set before us this morning is not one of death, but it's of resurrection. He is risen indeed. And that resurrection and the validity of it is grounded not only in His Word, but also in His work. His work. In Isaiah 53, we've been, as we wrap up this series of sermons on the servant to the Lord, We've been dealing with the themes as we studied a despised and suffering substitute who conquers death, who is God's successful servant. But the very basis of his success is is highlighted again in our text, even yet this morning. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief when you make his soul an offering for sin, 
Verse 11, for he shall bear their iniquities. And verse 12, because he poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sins of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. It's grounded in his work. And that success is, is delivered to us here in this text as one that is absolutely successful. There's validity to it. He shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days. The pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. My righteous servant shall justify many. This is, this is all grounded in what he has done in his suffering and his death. And so God has raised him from the dead. He is risen indeed. And the truth of this resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ needs to be experienced in all aspects of our spiritual life. As John MacArthur wrote, the truth of the resurrection gives life to every area of the gospel. The resurrection is a pivot on which all of Christianity turns, without which none of the other truths would even matter. Would it matter that Jesus died, even crucifixion, if he never rose? You see, without the resurrection, says John MacArthur, Christianity would be simply wishful thinking and no different than any other religious speculation. We need to believe and we need to experience the truth and the validity of his resurrection. And as we experience the power of it, we'll also taste of the satisfaction that is found in his resurrection. Let's look at that in our second point. The satisfaction of his success. The satisfaction of his success. Let me just read the first part of verse 11. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. Well, first of all, we recognize here that he is satisfied with his work. That work that he has done as a sacrifice for sin. Notice how, when we, when we look at this, it has pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, for he shall bear their iniquities. God himself, Jehovah himself, Yahweh himself, has made him a sacrifice for sin. But because he has done that and suffered that and lived that perfect life, therefore he's raised in confirmation of his righteousness. He is his righteous servant because his, satis his justice is satisfied. All the requirements of the Lord are satisfied. And so the result is this, my righteous servant, he shall justify many. And really, justification is at the very heart of the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, God has confirmed that His justice is satisfied, and in Christ and in His work, 
we are justified in Him, in Christ alone. He is satisfied with that work. But He's also satisfied with His seed. He shall see His seed. And He shall see the labor of His soul and be satisfied. Think about how a baby is born into this world. A mother has to go through great labor pains for that baby to be born. This is fathers who've witnessed this or others, nurses and doctors who've witnessed this. You all know how much labor, how much pain and strain there is with labor. And yet, after it's all done and the delivery's complete, mother takes that child into her bosom, into her chest, and is satisfied. What a picture. The suffering and the death and the agony from Gethsemane to Golgotha as he's raised from the dead. The Lord Jesus takes his seed into his arms and is satisfied. You see, in Hebrews chapter 12, we find that we're surrounded by all that cloud of witnesses of faith in Hebrews 11, and we're called to run the race that's set before us, looking to Jesus, looking to Him, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him, for that seed that was set before Him, that He's satisfied with, for that seed, He has endured the cross, despised the shame, and is now sat at the right hand of the throne of God. He shall see his seed. Those who deserved his condemnation, those filled with iniquity, and those who were transgressors, those who were sinners, he takes them in his arm and he sees them. And he sees his own reflection in them. His own righteousness. And he takes them close to himself. He's satisfied. He's satisfied with his days, his prolonged days. And the prolonged days he gives all of his people. He's satisfied. He says, I shall see He shall see his seed and he shall prolong his days. Another confirmation of the resurrection. But even more so, as we see Peter preaching on this passage in in, in Acts chapter 2, as he sets before them, men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles and wonders and signs that he's done in your midst. And him who has been Delivered by the determinate purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands and have crucified and put to death. But this is the one whom God has raised up, having loosed the bond pains of death, because it's not possible that he should be held by it. And he goes on to quote, quote uh, Psalm 16, and goes on to say, "Men and brethren." Let me speak freely to you. 
this one who is both dead and buried and his tomb is with us to this day, namely David. He spoke of another whom God would raise up to sit on his throne forever. That's our hope. That's the hope that Paul sets before us in 1 Corinthians 15 in that second Adam who's been raised for our justification to give us life and to prolong our days. Because this corruptible flesh and this mortal flesh will put on immortality and incorruption. And death will be swallowed up in victory. For he shall prolong our days. He's satisfied with his days and the days that he prolongs even to his people because he's satisfied with the pleasure of the Lord. So our text goes on to say, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. A servant shall be satisfied with the knowledge that through his suffering as our substitute, that the pleasure of the Lord is prospering in his hand through his very work. I want you to consider this as we look at this text again about the pleasure of the Lord. In verse 10, it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. It pleased the Lord to do so. It pleased the Lord to make his soul an offering for sin. It pleased the Lord that he would bear our iniquities. There's a pleasure of the Lord. And yet we read in Ezekiel that the Lord does not have pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked should turn and repent and believe in this servant. I don't know if I can wrap my mind around this. Can you? It pleased the Lord to bruise him. It pleased the Lord to put him to grief. It pleased the Lord to punish him for my sins. And God has no pleasure in the death of the wicked. In the death of someone like me. Someone like you. Can we comprehend the depth of the love of God in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us? That the pleasure of the Lord should prosper in his hand as we've been seeing throughout these servant songs from Isaiah 42, that, that he shall establish justice and order in this earth. In Isaiah 42, verse 6, that he shall be given a covenant as a covenant for the people, a light to the Gentiles to open blind eyes and to break prisoners out of prison. In Isaiah 49, verse 6, that he shall be God's salvation even to the ends of the earth. Through this servant, as we find in Isaiah 50, verse 6, and throughout Isaiah 53, who would obediently bear the suffering due to your and my sins, he is satisfied with the pleasure of the Lord. It's no wonder Paul breaks out in Ephesians, saying, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. That's why 
That's the pleasure of the Lord. Who has adopted us as sons and daughters of God in Christ Jesus according to the good pleasure of His will, to the praise and glory of His grace, that we would be accepted in the Beloved and have redemption in Him, the forgiveness of sins in Him, and that we would make known the mystery have made known the mystery of his will to us according to his good pleasure which he purposed in himself. This is the good pleasure of the Lord. That Christ would come to suffer and die and to be raised again for our justification, for our life. Do you have any sins that you need to confess this morning? Are you a sinner? Where will you go? But to the Lamb of God who has taken away the sins of the world. Do you have a soul this morning? You have a soul that needs going to come before God. Where would you go? but to a Savior who has the words of eternal life. Do you believe that there's wrath to come for those who do not turn to the Lord Jesus Christ in faith and repentance? Will you not go to the Savior even this morning? Will not he who saw fit and who saw that it pleased his Father to bruise him, to put him to grief, will he not freely, with open arms, also receive you in mercy? Would you not come to him for life? Would you not come to him for rest? Would you not knock that it would be open to you? Would you not look upon him that he might save you? Can I ask you, did any, anyone ever come to the Lord Jesus Christ during his ministry on earth seeking a cure or seeking that their child would be raised from the dead? Did anyone come to Jesus and he says, oh, go away, go away? No one ever did. They came for a cure and they received a cure. Oh, how much more. That ought to encourage us this morning when we think about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we would come to Him for the greatest cure that any one of us could ever experience. Salvation from our sins. That's the good pleasure of the Lord. He delights in mercy. He delights in His good pleasure. And He extends it to us today. His heart is free. His arms are open. It's His joy and his crown to receive his seed, sinners saved by his work. In order to share in the spoils of his success. That's what we see in the final verse of our of this fourth and final servant song. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. 
That's our third point, the spoils of his success. In Hebrew, this is a challenging portion to to translate. And I would would say if we read it just like it is, our minds could go a lot of different ways. But I would like us to read it in the sense of understanding what someone coming home in victory, like Wellington coming home in victory, a general coming home in victory over his enemies would look like. You have those who they became victor over. The ones who who now are captives. You have their spoils and the gifts that you receive, as it were, because of your victory. You have the honor and the respect of the people and you have so many things going on. And when we think about this with our Lord Jesus Christ, I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. What you have here is a reference to the many in the verse before. I will allocate to him the many. I will divide those, and the many he will receive, those whom he has justified. And you could translate the next phrase in it in two ways. He divides the spoil with with those whom he has received. Or you could also say, and the strong he will allocate as his spoil. And we would have that fit very wonderfully with how the servant song began. The king shall shut their mouths at him. Let me explain a little further. In other words, if he's saying, I shall allocate to him the many. He receives his people. And yet, he also will take the strong and they will be allocated as his spoil. And that would fit very well with Psalm chapter 2. In Psalm chapter 2, what do we find? In Psalm 2, we find that the kingship song of of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Mosiah's triumph in his kingdom. And it comes with these words, Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing and kings of the earth set themselves and rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. There's rebellion. The strong are rebelling against God, saying God has no place. And they rebel against the anointed. But he who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. Because he has set his his king, my king, he says, on my holy hill of Zion. He's been exalted. He's, he's, He's set very high. And there he has dominion over all things. Head over all exalted. I will declare the decree. The Lord has said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me. Notice here. I will give you the, he- the nations for your inheritance. The nations that rise up against me, I will give them to you for your inheritance as the spoils and the ends of the earth for your possession. And you shall break them with a rod of iron. And you shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. 
That's the encouragement we've received from the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ today. He will destroy the enemies that come up against Him and His anointed. Ask of me, because of this resurrection glory, the nations will be given to you as a spoil and the ends of the earth for your possession. The strong that come in defiance of me will be made your spoil. Uh, uh, Psalm 110, another kingship song and psalm where we read, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. You will reign over them all. This is your spoil. The Lord shall send the rod of your strength out of Zion, rule in the midst of your enemies. And notice the many who are justified by him in verse 3. Your people shall be volunteers in the day of your power, in the beauty of holiness. From the womb of the morning you have the dew of your youth. See, when he makes his people willing in the day of his power, he shares the spoils as those who are seated in heavenly places already and one day will be with him forever, reigning over all things, over the whole universe. The spoil that he receives is being put under his footstool as he's led captivity captive. And yet don't forget, he takes all of those spoils of the riches that come from the land and he divides them also with his people. So that we in him are conquerors, more than conquerors, says Paul. And as he divides the fruits of his conquest, we enjoy the riches of his justification, of his sanctification, of a life in Christ as he gives gifts to men. And it's all again, as we conclude, based on his suffering and his death. That's how the passage ends. But... It ends not with, not with him being placed under this unwillingly, but voluntarily. He has poured out his soul unto death. He himself numbered himself with the transgressors. He himself willingly bore the sins of many. He himself made intercession for the transgressors. There you see him on the cross again. And he looks down and he sees a people who he was going to make volunteers in the day of his power, who would be his seed, and yet they were crucifying him. And he says, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. He intercedes for them. He takes sinners who cannot even reach up to God. Who can't even understand who God is. 
who can't understand who this Messiah is, who's taunting him, if you are the Messiah, come down off the cross, and then we will believe. He takes these seed. He brings them before his Father. He takes sinners like you and like me who've done the same thing. And he intercedes on our behalf. He intercedes for the transgressors. What's that mean? He causes He causes us to reach the ear of his Father. As the mediator between God and man, he takes those cries of publican sinners in the back of the temple saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He takes those prayers and he brings them before his Father in heaven. And those people go home justified. Right with God. He's that mediator between God and man. The one who is risen, who has the ear of his father, and who cares for your greatest concern in life, that you'd be saved for your sin. Christ is not defeated. The whole message is this Christ has defeated the enemy, he's defeated sin, he's defeated hell. He's defeated Satan. He's defeated all of his helpers. All to be victorious for his seed and to be satisfied with his seed. And so because he lives, I can face tomorrow. I can face the challenges of our day because I know he's head over all exalted. I can face death itself because he lives. And will also raise me on that last day. And because he lives, I can stand before God in the face of eternity. Not in my own merits, but through what Christ has done for me. Because he lives and makes intercession for me based on his finished work. Oh, would you come to Jesus today to delight in his victory to delight in his spoils because he delights in his seed, satisfied with you just as you are with one thing, acknowledging and confessing your sin and your need for him. Amen. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we gather in this in in prayer before you after this service. After the preaching and the proclamation of your word. And we realize, O oh Lord, that we have not always appreciated the power of your resurrection as we ought. The truth of that resurrection and the implications of the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ for our life. Oh, may we come humbly to you today that in your resurrection we also might be satisfied with who you are and the spoils of your success. Forgive us, Lord. For so often walking past 
the message of an empty cross. For so often walking past the message of an empty tomb and for going our own way. Lord, impress this message upon us today that He is risen and He is risen indeed. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.